Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. We'll make a little noise, Harbor family. Man, that is, that is a good word that we heard. Man, we have a God who is always faithful. He's a deliverer. He's there. He's never abandoned us. If that doesn't light a little bit of a fire in you, I don't know what will. There are sometimes we just need to be reminded that we have a God who doesn't forget about us. Even when we forget about him, he doesn't forget about us. So, man, I hope that that just does a little little extra for you, something you can take with you the rest of this week into next week and so on. And, man, I'm just uh, I'm excited that you're here. I'm glad that you're here with us. If you're watching online, if you're tuning in on Facebook or on YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, uh, however you find yourself connected with Harbor Church, thank you. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Harbor. And um, as uh, was mentioned earlier, we're in a series that we're calling Hello, My Name Is. And uh, we're into the fourth week of this series. And to be honest with you, to, the character that we're looking at this weekend is kind of the reason that I wanted to do all of these character studies, because God just started showing me uh, some really cool things in the life of this guy that were, were for me personally. And I figured, because I'm so jacked up and I'm a, like the example of dumpster fires, I should preach it to my church filled with dumpster fires and see if you get a little something out of it as well. Because when I look at the life of Joseph, Man, I see a lot of areas where I fall short. And uh, Joseph is a unique character. Maybe you've never heard of him before, or maybe you haven't studied him that much. But when it comes to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, there is no character who is given more um, screen time. There's no character that has more emphasis put on him in the book of Genesis. I mean, when Moses wrote this, he, he didn't give as much time to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He didn't give as much time to Noah or to Abraham, the founder of, of the, the Jewish faith and the Israelite nation. He didn't give that much. Uh, he didn't give as much to Isaac or Jacob either. Joseph is the character in the book of Genesis with the most stuff revolving around him. And I think it's because he has so many cool things to teach us and does such an amazing job with his life that we have to lean into it this weekend. And uh, we're, we're, we're bringing up Joseph following last week where we talked about Esther. And what I think is cool about the two of these characters, Esther and Joseph, is they, bo- they, they both have some similarities in how God worked in their life. If you weren't here for that, you can go, find, you can go listen to the Esther uh, message from last week. But Esther was put in some really tough situations, some really big circumstances that she wasn't sure how she was going to handle it. And, and honestly, she couldn't fix it. Her people were sentenced to death. Uh, they had a, there was a, a mass order that went out for genocide of, of the Jewish people. And, and Esther, there was no way for her to counteract the king's order. And as you heard described already, Joseph was a young man who was hated by his family, sold into slavery, and even as a slave in Egypt, found some favor from God as he was worked through a, a house and, and like became the, the lead servant in that house. But then he gets wrongfully accused and gets sent to prison and spends the better part of, of 13 years in prison. And then after, and I, I don't want to ruin it for you, you're going to have to go read it on your own. I don't have time to read you like 20 chapters. So the end of the story for Joseph is that Joseph, much like Esther, is able to save his people. Joseph's in prison and he interprets some dreams that God gives him some clarity on why people are having these dreams. And uh, although those guys forget about him, 
eventually he's remembered to the pharaoh of egypt and the pharaoh has some really heavy dreams that he can't figure out and nobody can tell him what they mean and somebody's like dude there's this hebrew kid down in the prison who knows how to interpret dreams and joseph comes out of prison and god gives him uh, an understanding of what pharaoh the pharaoh's dreams meant and he interprets the dreams and the dreams basically meant that Egypt was going to have all of these years of a plentiful harvest of abounding food, but they were going to have those right before they went into a famine. And so it was like, it was like the, they were going to get blessed, and then they were going to go through a hard time. And Joseph tells the Pharaoh, like, hey, you need to prepare for it. And the Pharaoh ends up promoting this kid, this prisoner, to the second most important spot in all of Egypt. And he makes Joseph the hero that plans how to save the food, the grain, and not only take the years of plenty, but get them through these years of famine. And so Joseph ends up saving people. He ends up saving his own family, his own brothers that hated him and sold him into slavery. He ends up saving them and their families too from dying during that famine. And so it's this really cool picture. (coughs) Excuse me. It's this really cool picture of how Um, God uses people to do something that they can never do on their own. And so Esther couldn't solve her problem on her own, and Joseph never could have gotten himself out of prison. Joseph never could have um, got got, uh, by himself gotten on the good side of Pharaoh or been able to help his family and do all that kind of stuff. But I see in their lives, and, and as we study Scripture, I see God showing up and allowing really bad things to happen to people. Because that is the only time that people really turn to God and see God working. Now, it's not that God wants bad things to happen, but he allows bad things to happen because that's usually when things get so insurmountable that people finally turn to God. And Esther and Joseph do a great job of never turning away from God. They walk with God, and I think that's why God uses them, unlike you and I, where we're constantly not around God. But it almost takes something that nobody else could do. It takes something where there is no answer before we turn to God and find that. And so like I, I was just, even before I jumped into the into like who Joseph was, just thinking about who Esther was and, and, and the, the bigger overarching picture of Joseph, I put down here that there's situations that seem impossible. Those are the ones that will lead you to a God who's unstoppable. Like I have to find those impossible situations in my life. And if you've been avoiding them, I mean, you and I were really good at like we are so afraid of something really bad happening. We avoid everything that really scares us, everything that really worries us. Some of us, maybe it's you watching or somebody in the room with me, we go as far as we can to avoid coming across something that we don't think we can handle. And we are all bound up and nervous that something in this world might be out of our control. It may be those very things that God's trying to use to open up a relationship with him. Because when we find those impossible things that we have to be led to a God who's unstoppable. And that's what we were singing about. That's what we were worshiping about. And that's a little bit more what we're going to talk about. Now, when we think about Joseph specifically, and I could keep making parallels to Esther, but we'll go just with Joseph for right now. Joseph is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. See, thousands of years before Jesus, the Messiah, comes to earth to save his people, they were given a picture of that Messiah in the form of Joseph. Now, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, they would have grown up hearing lessons about Joseph, this, this, this one of their ancestors who was sold into slavery, but then uh, rises through the ranks and ends up rescuing his people from famine. They would have heard those stories 
And God allowed that to take place, not only because Joseph in his time saves his people, but because he paints a picture of the one who's coming to save. Now just, if you've never heard the story, let me just tell you some really cool parallels. Jesus and Joseph were both separated from the love of their father. They are both of them hated by their brothers. Both of them sold for pieces of silver. Both of them wrongfully accused of something they never did and punished for it. Both of them abandoned by their friends when they needed them needed most. And why? All so that they could be the savior of those people. You have Joseph, the prince of Egypt, and you have Jesus, the prince of heaven. And you get to see how God, even thousands of years before he sent his only begotten son, he was painting a picture so people could see that coming. And so Joseph does this beautiful, beautiful job of demonstrating what it looks like to, to, to look into the future and see somebody who would, who would sacrifice themselves, who would go through all kinds of torment and trouble. Now, Jesus was perfect. Joseph wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. He was, he's a sinner like you and I, but the Bible goes to great lengths to record all the things he does right, and he, he gets punished for a lot of things he doesn't do wrong. He just, he just gets in tough situations. God allows some really heavy things to happen to him. And I think if you or I were Joseph, we would have quit on God. And I think that's why you and I don't have stories like Joseph has. And we don't see victories like Joseph sees victories. Because he has a lot of bad things happen, but he doesn't act the way you and I act. Now, I've been working on this message for a long time. I'm going to say some things that really hurt my feelings. So I imagine they're going to hurt your feelings, okay? But lean into it a little bit, because you need to hear it. Uh, I read a quote that said, Joseph's story is the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of glory through suffering, exaltation through humiliation. It's the story of the cross and the crown. That's by Samuel Amati. I thought they'd had that quote up, but I guess not. Um, it's, it's this idea that Joseph demonstrates what what we should look for in our lives and he handles it in a way that you and I rarely do now how is that how is it that Joseph does it why does Joseph get to do something that so few of us can do well <clears throat> unlike us he responds to all of that negativity with grace and forgiveness Joseph was so wronged by his they hated him his older brothers hated him to the point that they were going to kill him, but instead of just kill him, they sell him into slavery so they can still get rid of him, but make a few coins on the side. Like, that's how bad his family was. You know, it was, it's all kinds of jacked up. As they say, tore up from the floor up. His family was, it was a bad place to be. As much as they hated him, when he had the chance to get even, he doesn't. He forgives them and he rescues them. See, Joseph models for us what it is Jesus actually tells us is our mission. If you've never heard Jesus describe that attitude, he describes it in Luke chapter 6. He says it this way, but if you're willing to listen, hey, anybody who's, who wants to be a follower of Christ, is what Jesus is saying here, pay attention. I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Say, what? Everything I'm going to read to you is the polar opposite of what the world tells you to do. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
Pray for those who hurt you. When's the last time you prayed for somebody who did you wrong? Now, I'll pray for them. I'll pray they fall down a flight of stairs. I'll pray that they get some, you know, get poison ivy on their eyelids. I'll pray. I'll pray. That's not what he's talking about. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, then give them the, your shirt on top of it. Give to anyone who asks, and when things, now watch this, when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. What? Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those, I love, the, Jesus is going to be real pointed, ready? If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them back. And if you only do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. What he, Jesus is saying is, he's saying, quit patting yourself on the back for all the nice things you do, because you're only doing what everybody's doing. He's saying, if you're really a follower of mine, you do nice things to the people that aren't nice back. You do it when you get nothing in return. You do it when there's nothing in it for you except for my glory. That's when I know that you're really serving me because as long as you get something out of you doing something nice, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for you. Yeah. He says non-believers do that. He's like, but if you have Jesus in your heart, if you have a relationship with God, you should have motivation to go above and beyond what everybody can do. He's saying those of us that call ourselves Christians... Church people, believers, followers of Jesus, we should be setting the bar so high on what it looks like to love others. Can you tell the difference between the Christian in your neighborhood and the non-Christian? Probably not. If I, if I go to your work, do you as a believer exemplify grace and forgiveness and kindness to the other co-workers? Kind of. Okay, do you do, does it, does, is it any higher than everybody else? He's saying you should be so obvious about it. He says it this way, love your enemies. Not tolerate, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then, after you do this, once you actually do it and don't just read about it in church. Okay, one person's with me. <laughs> then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting like children of the most. You'll actually act like children of God. That's when I'll know that you're really a Christian. Not when you say you're a Christian, when you act like a Christian. For your fathers, he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He is? How do you think you're still drawing breath? He is very kind and gracious to dumpster fires. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So he set the bar and see, although this was written thousands of years later, Jesus says it later. I think Jesus is, is talking exactly about the kind of character that's demonstrated in Joseph earlier. 
Joseph is this, this is, this is Joseph. He does these things and, and there, it makes no sense. Betrayed by your family, sold into slavery, lied about it wrongfully, imprisoned, forgotten about by the people you were nice to. Who comes out of that being nice to anybody? That's like the origin story of every villain in any comic book. Like that, you, This guy deserves to be just evil and rotten, and yet all he is is gracious and kind and loving and compassionate because his father is compassionate. See, as I began to look at what it is that Joseph does that you and I should, should resemble, I see three things about Joseph. I see three things that he does when he is faced with an opportunity to act different, he models what we just read from Jesus. You and I don't. See, what I've learned is that you, you can't control those people's actions, but you can control your reaction. You're not responsible for what everybody has done to you. And I know some of you, as I'm preaching on forgiveness and compassion and enemies, you're thinking about people who have hurt you and you were hurt, and rightfully so. I'm not trying to say that you weren't. There's been some evil people in your life, or there's been some bad things, and there's been people that have done you dirty, and there's people that hurt you. Maybe all the way back to your childhood when you were a little kid, somebody said something to you, somebody did something to you, somebody at work stole from you, somebody at school hurt you, somebody in your family betrayed you i know those pains can be so deep and so long lasting and yet god says listen you're not responsible for what other people have done but i am going to hold you responsible for how you react to it and this is where we got to lean in a little bit because if i'm honest i have a lot of excuses for all of this yet joseph models for us how to react properly now let me read you a couple of instances early on when he's, he's always doing is what his dad asked him to do. His dad asked him, hey, go check on your brothers. And he's like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go check on them, dad. Okay, his brothers were shepherds and they were out in the field. And it says, when Joseph, Joseph's brothers saw him coming, this is in Genesis chapter 37. <coughs> when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached and they made plans to kill him. Not hurt him, not beat him up, not be rude to him not give him a swirly, to kill him. That's the kind of big brothers he had. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Now they call him that because God had given him a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. And he told his big brothers that, and they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> and says, come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns. It's like a cistern was like a pit, it's like a well. Uh, and they said, let's do that. And what we'll do is we'll tell our dad, because dad really loves him. Dad loves Joseph. We'll, we'll tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. And then we're going to see what becomes of his dreams. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And his father had given him a, given him a, given him a coat of many colors. And it was, a, it was just a gift to show how much the father loved him. And they were jealous of that. So they rip off that coat, they grab him, and they throw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty because it had no water in it. They were planning on killing him or letting an animal come by and kill him. Or they weren't sure, but like I said, they changed their mind later and like, well, let's just sell him to some slave traders and get some money for him. Same difference. If he dies in Egypt building a pyramid, who cares? We didn't technically kill him, and we got some money for it. Now, the story goes that when he gets to Egypt, God puts favor on him, and he actually rises in the ranks of this house that he serves, and he becomes the top servant. He becomes in charge of all the other servants in the house, 
And now we know he was 17 when he got sold into slavery. We're not sure how old he is now. He might be 18 or 19 uh, before he gets thrown in prison, but he's still a young man. It says he's apparently very attractive, and the boss's wife starts eyeing him up and down. She wants to fool around with him. She's, she's, she's sitting there like, hey, hey, let's go. He says no multiple times. We pick up the story in verse 8 of Genesis 39. It says Joseph refused. He, he said, look, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I'm going to finish this here in a second. Side note, even then, thousands and thousands, 6,000 plus years ago, he knew that it was not right to sleep with somebody he wasn't married to. There is a, there is a truth that we don't talk about in society, but like she wanted him and he was young and I'm sure, you know, he, he was like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'd be great, but it's not the right thing to do. It doesn't matter how much we condone it. If I haven't entered into a covenant relationship with you and God, if I haven't stood before God and made a vow to be with you for the rest of my life, then I shouldn't indulge in a pleasure that exists only to bond a husband and a wife together. I shouldn't partake of that and cheapen that and then do that with other people. He knew that back then. We just don't really talk about it too much today. And I'll say that for a message for another time since... You guys don't seem too into it. I'll just move on. (laughs) She kept pressuring him. She kept pressuring him and putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. But one day, however, no one was around when he went in to do his work, and she came and she grabbed him by his cloak and demanded, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. He runs from that temptation because he knows it's wrong. If you read the rest of the story, she screams rape and tells all the rest of the servants that he came at her, gets her husband mad at Joseph, and then her husband throws him in prison. And he was, all he was trying to do was protect Potiphar. And it's Potiphar who throws him in prison for doing the right thing. And I thought, man, this is, this is a guy exemplifying what it's like to respond the right way. Because if those two things had happened to me, if I had been beaten up and thrown in a well to be killed by my brothers and then lied about and, and had my, my reputation tarnished, he had one of the best jobs a servant could hope for. He lost his job because somebody lied about him. That might be true of you. How would you feel? How would you respond? What would you want to do? See, you're not responsible for their actions, but you're responsible for your reaction. This reminds me of Jesus who who is being nailed to a cross by people spitting on him and taunting them, mocking him. And yet he says in Luke 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. At the same time, there were soldiers gambling for his clothes by throwing dice. While he's being nailed naked to a cross, hanging there in that shame and humility that he's taking on himself for these people, they're spitting on him and hitting him and mocking him. And yet his reaction to that is God forgive them. Did you notice something else in common with all three of those stories? It speaks to their character. 
And all three of them, they took their clothes. Because see, there's something I realized, and I put in my note next to them. You can take their clothes, but you can't take their character. They took his coat of many collars. She took his cloak. They took Jesus' stuff. But there's, and, and the reason I wrote that is because there's always going to be somebody taken from you. There's always going to be somebody coming after some of, the, some of your stuff. There's always going to be somebody doing something to you. And they, you may not be able to stop what they're doing to you. But as much as they take, as much as they steal, as much as they lie, they can't take your character. You do not have to surrender that. The way you respond to these things, that's on you. That's up to us. See, everything that we're going to talk about in this, in this story of Joseph, he reminds us that you can either make an excuse or you can be an example. And if you ask me, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of excuses for why I act the way I do. When I lose my temper, I've got a good excuse. This person deserves it, right? Or I can be an example of who Jesus is. But all it takes for you and I is any excuse. Any excuse to pout. Any excuse to be angry. Any excuse to hate them. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. And it doesn't matter. Satan will always provide you with an excuse to be less than the man or the woman that God's called you to be. See, when, I, when, I, when I'm sitting there thinking about how the ways I want to react to the thing that just happened, and I'll use traffic because it happens all the time for me. I got to imagine, hey, even if my kids aren't in the car, what if they were? I get an opportunity right now to react, and I have an excuse to do some things because they've done them to me. Sign language, <laughs> yelling, horn honking, whatever. Or I can be an example of the things I'm supposed to do. Well, that only applies if your kid's in the car. No, it really doesn't. It's the same way at work. It's the same way if nobody's watching because that's where character really comes out. And they can't take that from you. You're the one who gives that up. And I think if we lean into that, we kind of understand that, man. I, I just, I struggle to think about brothers that would sit back, throw him in a pit, and then sit back waiting for him to die. You ever feel like you got people in your life that are just sitting back waiting for you to die? You got people in your life that are just sitting there. Can't wait for you to screw up. Man, how's that feel? They stepped back waiting for him to die. When he got the chance, he stepped up and saved their life. Do, would you and I do the same thing? This is why Joseph hurts so much is because he just smacks me in the face with all the things I'm not. I want to show you a, a, like a little insight that I got on him. And it's a little part of the story that a lot of people don't read. When his brothers come to Egypt to be rescued, he's already the, the second in command of Egypt. And they're begging for food. And he plays some games with them, just trying to see what their character is and how they are. But finally, he breaks down. He wants them to know that he is their brother, Joseph. And it says this in Genesis chapter 45. Please come closer, he said to him. So they came closer, and he said again, I I'm Joseph. I I'm your brother. I'm the one that you sold into slavery, but, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for, for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. He already had a perspective, and we talked about this last week with Esther. He had a perspective through all the crap he went through was actually God putting him in a place where he could help save some lives. And so he tells his brothers, you guys, 
You guys don't have to beat yourselves up. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to do all that because I'm forgiving you. I'm letting go of it. I I actually see that God had a plan in all of this. Now watch, it says this. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and he wept over them. And after that, then they began talking freely with him. It's when he comes down from his throne and he takes him by the head and he says, I'm your brother. He says, I... I'm over that. I'm over what happened. I'm so sad that you guys have been starving. I'm so sad that you've been been having to deal with the weight of murdering a brother, that, that this has been weighing on you. I'm so sad for all the things that you've had to go through. And he he holds the heads of the men who put him in that position and he leans on them and he cries because his heart is broken for what they've had to go through. You tell me that's you and how you and I act towards our enemies. His tears, he wept. He cried. It broke his heart that they were hurting, that they had to go through that. It reminds me of Jesus. We celebrate a Palm Sunday, and that, that's, that's celebrating the time when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and they pulled the branches off the trees, and they laid them down, and they said, oh, they said, Hosanna, oh, Jesus is here. They're all excited, but he knew, he already knew that in a couple days' time, the same people that were praising him were going to start shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and as he walks through, and as he looks ahead to the city, as he's riding in, they're all excited for him to get there, but it says this in Luke 19, it says, as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep. How, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, Jesus says. See, Jesus, although he, he's in the middle of a crowd of people that he knew were just a couple days away from betraying him, hating him, spitting on him. He isn't moved to anger. He isn't moved to disgust. He isn't moved to resentment or bitterness. He's moved to brokenness. His heart, it's breaking for the very people that hate him. He looks at him, he says, there's something better than this for you. When I think about Joseph and I think about Jesus, I see that they model for us something that we really don't understand. Your pain In the tough time you're going through, it will either produce a bitterness or a brokenness. And you get to decide what that is. In the middle of all the stuff that people have done for you, your response and how you choose to respond will either build up in you a resentment and a hatred that will take hold and cause you to be bitter towards them no matter what they do, or... You will choose to be like Joseph and Jesus and you will look and your heart will break for people who need something better in their life. I'm going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks when we get into a new series. But I do not believe that we can even scratch the surface of the compassion that God has called us to have for the world around us. Because if we were really brokenhearted for our neighbors... If we really understood what God's best for our enemies was, 
We wouldn't be happy that they were missing out. We wouldn't look down on them with anger. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't allow ourselves to be, to be filled with joy over the fact that they don't have what God wants for them. We would be crying like Joseph cried, like Jesus cried, knowing these people did evil to them, and yet they said, I just, I, I'm so sad that you don't have it better. I wish that I was the communicator that you deserve in this moment to understand the power of these passages. I'm going to have to trust that the Holy Spirit has to reach into the cold hearts that are in this room right now, the hard hearts that you and I have. And I am guilty of this, where I have become callous towards the people that I, have, I feel have wronged me, to the situations I feel like have, have done me dirty. I... I've resented that instead of been broken towards that. See, this is why Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after one another. Have some brothers and sisters. Have some people in your life. God says he designed the church community, church congregation, to create brotherhood and sisterhood where we, we edify one another, the Bible says. He says, now here's the job inside that church. This is why you should, this is why you should get in a connect group this winter. Not just for something to do, but so you have some people around you that would what? Look after you. Look after you so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. You need to watch out. You need to have some people helping you watch out. What? That no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Grows up to corrupt you. It's one of the only times that we have negative growth really depicted in Scripture. And it's the idea that you can have a seed planted in your heart that germinates and grows like a vine that wraps around you and consumes you. And it's, it's called the root of bitterness. He says you have to watch out. You have to be on guard working against it because it comes so naturally for you to be bitter instead of broken. Now, some of you heard me say, be broken, have brokenness. And you're like, yeah. I'm broken. I don't know. No, no. I'm not talking about whining. Well, I'm broken. I, you want me to be broken about all the bad things that happen? I'm broken. You just need to read my social media. I'm broken all the time. I'm not talking about whining. I'm not talking about complaining. I'm talking about compassion, not complaining. All right? I'm talking about looking out and having sympathy, not self-pity. All right? When we talk about being broken, I'm talking about us taking a step towards healing, all right, not living in that hurt. It should, be, it should be a brokenness that says, man, I want things to be better, not woe is me, my life is tough. That's not the kind of brokenness I'm talking about. Because that doesn't do you any, any, any better than, than the root of bitterness choking you out. It goes on to say in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, hey, get rid of all bitterness, Root out all of the bitterness, all of the rage, all of the anger, all of the harsh words, all of the slander, and all types of evil behavior. I feel like they listed how we respond to our enemies right here. Uh, don't get bitter. That's my go-to. Don't rage. Oh, my goodness. Don't be angry. Are you kidding me? Don't say any harsh words. 90% of my vocabulary. And don't talk bad about them. You're not leaving me a whole lot of options here, God. <laughs> he goes, yeah, and in case I missed anything, or you think there's a, like a little like loophole there, anything that's evil, don't do it. 
He goes, let me, let me tell you, instead, the next verse says, instead, try this. Rip out the root of bitterness, and instead, let's plant some good stuff in your life. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. Why should I do all that? Because God did it for you. See, when I have people in my life, whether it's in a connect group or it's a mentor or it's a buddy or it's some accountability partners, it's just people I have, I'm doing life with that I know have a walk with God and want me to have a better walk with God. They are coming along planting these kind of things in my life and helping me learn when I have the wrong thing. And sometimes I don't want my friends to call me out on my rage and my harsh words and my, my bitterness. But what I need is I need somebody to go, hey, Josh, man, that's not God's best for you. Where are you at? And as I learn to grow and step into it, I may not want to hear it then, but my life is so much freer when, I don't, when I'm not bound up by all the stuff that's happening. You see, this idea of being rooted is incredibly, is incredibly essential to the Christian walk because you can have rooted evil, rooted in bitterness, rooted in rage. You can have your roots go down. Jesus describes a story where roots determine the, the success of your life. And so we see being rooted in evil and rooted in brokenness can be so damaging. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So we have bad roots that we're trying to avoid and good roots that we're trying to grow. That's why we call what we call we every two months or so, give or take, our church tries to gather around in, in a special event that we call Rooted. We've been, in, uh, we've been advertising this for a while. We've got one coming up. And uh, this idea of Rooted is that we do something beyond what we do in the, in the normal weekend services. So for an hour on Sunday night, we take communion and we worship and we lean into God going, God, if there is something that's tating, taking root in our hearts that shouldn't be there, pull it out and give us something better to plant in there. And we called it rooted because we want to be, like the, like the Bible says in Psalms, a tree that's rooted by the river that has, that's getting nourishment, that's growing. We want to be healthy. We want to have fruits of the Spirit. We want to be rooted in the right thing and avoid being rooted in the wrong thing. And so we, we spend that time together as a church because I choose... I choose how I react to things and if I'm going to be broken or bitter. Now, you can decide if, if growing in your walk with God is worth an hour on a Sunday night or not. I have a thousand excuses why I'm too busy to come take communion and spend some time with God, but I really have to own the fact that when I center myself around God, it's going to require me to deny what I want, and it's going to probably be an inconvenience, and it's probably going to pull against my flesh. But in everything that God's called us to do, we're going to find that, that battle. And Joseph, I cannot believe it, but Joseph, when looking at his brothers, decided not to kill them, or not to hurt them, or not to taunt them, or not to embarrass them. And that's all I would have been thinking about while I was in prison. If I get, if I get a chance, oh man. But see, what I've noticed is if you spend all your time in prison planning revenge, you'd never get out of prison. 
See, when you, when you allow the things that have been done to you, and, and I'm not saying that they're your fault because some of the things that have happened to us aren't our fault. Now, there's a whole message about things that we do that are our own fault. I'm not going to preach that right now. But like, there's things that happened to us that we didn't, we, we didn't deserve that wasn't, that wasn't our doing. And so we just sit there thinking about ways to get even, thinking about ways to get payback. And what that does is it begins to consume us, not just with bitterness, but with a bondage to being able to be free, to, to go move on. I shared with the church years ago when we were in the basement about a time I got beat up when I was in sixth grade. There's a kid in my neighborhood, he was an 11th grader, just beat the tar out of me. I mean, punched me, kicked me. I was on the ground just like trying to curl up. Just, the kid just wailed on me, hated me. I don't know what it was. Probably my dashing good looks. But man, I, I remember, I didn't lose a lot of fights, but that one, man, that one stung. And that one, man, that hurt. And I, I mean, for years, and as I grew bigger and I, I you know, I, I grew up, I was like, man, I want to run into that kid now. Like, I want, I mean, mm. for years, I thought about getting revenge on that guy. I'm a 30 year old man thinking about some 11th grade kid that beat me up. You know, he hasn't thought about it since that day. And I'm still held up. Like when I would think about it, man, my blood would boil. Who really got who? I'm in bondage to something that happened all those years ago. That's just dumb. Why would I do that? See, what I realized that, that Joseph models for us is that when you forgive your enemies, it doesn't set them free. It sets you free. See, I think a lot of us hear that we're supposed to forgive people and we're like, I'm not forgiving them. They don't get a pass. They don't get away with that. Hold up. You forgiving them like God commands you to do doesn't absolve them. When you forgive them, they still have to answer to God. They still have to deal with the ramifications of their choices. You forgiving them isn't saying that they don't have to answer to God or they don't have to deal with it. You forgiving them is you setting yourself free from being bound up in all that hate and bitterness. You, you not forgiving them isn't punishing them anymore. Somebody needs to write that down. You refusing to forgive them isn't inflicting any more damage on them. It's only inflicting damage on you. You're not punishing them by not forgiving them. You're punishing yourself along with them. See, Matthew 5.44 says, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Get to a place in your heart before God where you not only stop hating them, but then you say, God, I want your best for that person. A pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how much that person hurt me. You're right, I don't, but God does. And his best for you is to not be carrying all that around. He wants to set you free from that. And if that person doesn't want to accept the forgiveness it's not about, did they ask you to forgive them so you reluctantly do it? They may never ask you to forgive them, and you need to forgive them anyways. See, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. See, revenge never helps you get even. It only breeds more retaliation. When you go down the revenge cycle, you're only going to just keep keep it going. The cycle of evil is just going to happen and they're going to get you and then you're going to get them and it's never going to be settled. Never pay back evil with more evil. 
You do things in such a way that everybody can see that you're honorable. You do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And he takes it a step further. He goes, dear friends, you never take revenge. You leave that to the righteous anger of God. You don't need to worry about revenge. I can't tell you how many nights I, I just dreamed of revenge on different things for different people. And it, it got me nowhere. It just kept me from being close to God is all it did. He says, you don't, you don't worry about revenge. You let God, who is righteous, by the way, that's kind of a commentary that we're not righteous. You let God, who is righteous, take care of them. The scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. God's got a better memory than you. He knows where people have messed up. And he knows where you've messed up. So if you focus on the areas where you have messed up, that will keep you plenty busy. Instead, if you're... Now, this is where I, the insteads, man, those have been hurting tonight. The insteads, this, this weekend, you're going to be looking into some insteads. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. What's that going to do? Well... Here's the good news. In doing that, you'll actually heap burning coals of shame on their heads. <laughs> so if you really are like, I can't stand them, then you be super nice to them. And God says it'll just irk them all over that you're being nice to them when they've been nothing but mean to you. And by the way, when you're nice to them, even though they don't deserve it, you protect your reputation at work. You protect the testimony you have in your family or at your school. Because you don't become a person who's about revenge, you become a person who learns to trust God, and he can use that way more than he can use you trying to live out whatever it is you think justice looks like. Don't let evil conquer you, but you conquer evil by doing good. Pastor, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if I did that, I'd be kind of, a, I'd be kind of letting people off the hook. I'd look like I look like I, I didn't really understand what they did. That's kind of like I'm naive or something. No. Forgiveness isn't naive. You see, when Joseph's brothers believed that he was going to kill them for all they had done to him because he was at a place of power where he could do that, he actually says this to him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said to him, hey, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of me. Am I in God's place. What he's saying there is, is am, I, am I a God that can punish you? Am I a God that can, that can, can do that to you? I, I'm not. He said, what you, what you meant for evil against me, God actually meant it for good. You intended to do harm. You intended to do evil to me, but God took it and used it for good to bring about this thing, to, to save more people. God used what you meant for evil and he turned it to good. What you need to understand there is he knew that they intended evil. It wasn't an accident. They didn't accidentally hurt him. They didn't, they didn't uh, fall into it and like mistakenly sell him into slavery. He's very aware of all the evil that they planned. And yet he goes, it doesn't matter. Because God takes it and turns it to good. You see, when God, when Jesus teaches people how to pray, when Jesus is walking around, he says, you know, you say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And he goes through the prayer. And then he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And the reason that Jesus says that to his followers, he says, you can't go before God asking God to be all tight with you and forgive you. And and you can't claim to be this follower of Jesus. You can't claim to be Christ-like when you harbor unforgiveness towards somebody else. See, as I forgive people that trespass against me, God, it opens me up to be forgiven of all the trespasses I have against you. See, I can't tell God, I, I, I can lie, which I do all the time, but God, what he's saying is, he goes, I know what's in your heart. You're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being the best that Jesus called me to be. No, you're not. You haven't forgiven that person. You want me to forgive you of all of your stuff, but you're not willing to forgive other people? You're not really being Christ-like is what he's saying. When you're praying, Mark 11 says, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you of your sins too. See, long before I go to God and start saying all these things I want, I need need to get to a place where I am truly being as Christ-like as possible. And Christ demonstrated forgiveness when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross by the very people that he was there to forgive. You and I are guilty of that. We're guilty of nailing Jesus to the cross, and in the middle of that, he says, I still forgive you. And so the expectation is that if we call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we forgive others even when they don't ask us to even when they don't deserve it even when they won't appreciate it because that's the same picture of us with jesus and we do it regardless of how they respond we do it because that's what god's called us to do and that's how we're more like joseph and better yet that's how we're more like jesus and i believe it's the men and women that have that kind of attitude that god uses to set people free It's those kind of people that allow forgiveness to be at the center of their heart, not bitterness. Those are the people that God uses to see victories in their workplaces, in their families, in their marriages, in their schools. It's the people that are willing to step up and say, God, the same way you forgave me is the way I want to forgive others. Will you stand with me, church? I'm going to pray out loud for you. Maybe you're at home watching or maybe you're standing in here with me. But I'm going to pray out loud for you. And I'd ask you to pray quietly right where you're at. And recognize that you could be more like Joseph. You could definitely be more like Christ. If you were willing to let go of all the things that have crept into your heart. All the the ways that you have not been Christ-like in the way you treat others. There are a lot of evil people in this world. There's a lot of broken people in this world. I'm not trying to tell you that they're good. I'm trying to tell you that we have a good God that loves all of us the same. And he wants better for you than for you to be chained down to your anger and your bitterness and your hate. And he wants better for your enemies than for them to continue living all their wicked life and their their anger and their bitterness and their hate. Will you forgive them? Will you go a step 
we go a step further and be broken for them? Can we be the kind of church that's filled with men and women that God can use to impact this community? Can we be the kind of people that lay down what we feel we're justified in and say, God, you did this for me. Let me do this for others. As I pray out loud, why don't you pray that right now? Why don't you simply ask God, change my heart, God. Take the bitterness away and give me a brokenness for my community. Give me a love for my enemies. Give me a, a compassion for my coworkers, for that family member I haven't talked to in years. God, help me show them the kind of forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. And while there's people praying all around you, maybe, maybe you need to have that prayer where you invite Jesus Christ in for the very first time, where you ask him to be your Lord and Savior where you start a relationship by accepting the fact that he's forgiven you of all of your sins, but you can't have that forgiveness unless you're willing to admit that you need it and that you can't get it on your own. And then you invite Jesus Christ into your life. You invite him to sit in the driver's seat. You invite him to be the one that calls the shots. Now, it's then, it's, it's at that moment. If you'll do that right now, that's when you'll have salvation in heaven and that's when you'll have a relationship with God. As I pray you pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord God, thank you for who you are and what you've given us. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you, God, that you're the God that forgives the people who don't deserve it, that you forgive the people who mock you, who hate it. God, that you forgive us even when, when we don't deserve it, when we don't even ask for it. Lord God, you, you love us and you want better for us. Lord, I pray for the person right now under the sound of my voice that needs to accept your forgiveness for the very first time. God, I pray for the person who right now needs to lean into who you are, to remember that you have so much more for us. God, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice realizes that you have a victory for us. You have people you want to set free. You have people that you want to save and that you will use those of us in this room right now, you will use those of us that are willing to surrender our hearts to you to forgive and to love. You will use us to set people free. We can see that victory. We can have that win. We can see people come to know you if we will just allow you, Lord God, to take all the brokenness, to take all the evil. God, we, we need to get to the place, and Lord, I ask that you would help us today and tomorrow and next week and the week after to remember that you're the God who isn't surprised by the brokenness of this world. You're not taken back. You're not caught off guard by all the wrong things and the evil things that people are doing, but you're the God who takes evil and turns it to good. You're the God who says that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called to your purpose. Lord, help us remember that. Help us even now in the in this darkness of winter and then the, the struggles that we have in our families and in our workplaces and with our health and with our finances, God, help us in the middle of all of this to remember that you're the God who loves us and has a better plan for us. God, help us lean into and celebrate that you're not done. God, that you, you want more for us if we will just learn, Lord God, to, to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. God, I pray that each and every one of us would walk out of here different than we walked in, that we would walk out of here being more like Christ, that we would exemplify the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. 
I pray this in the precious name of your son. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.